Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Everything is changing so fast. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load. But now with the Xfinity 10G network, you can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, a psychiatrist is kidnapped and forced to provide therapy to a serial killer. Can he cure the psychopath and win his freedom before becoming another one of his victims? We're talking about The Patient from Hulu. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of the These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Oh, I'm so relaxed right now. Got my feet in the sand, drinking a frozen drink. Frozen mojito. Yeah, it's seven in the morning. This podcast comes out. Yes. We're actually going to be in Mexico. Actually, we're going to be an hour Ooh. behind, so it will oh. actually... Oh, it will be like 7 in the morning. I don't know. I'm, like, I'm probably not going to get up early, even if it is to have a mojito. Oh, you don't like mojitos. You don't like mint. A mojito? No, I don't care for mint. I'll I just do. go for maybe uh, You like the pina heavy colada. coconut drinks, yes. I like pina coladas That's and true. getting caught in the rain. Miami vices. I like pina coladas, too. I like painkillers, too. We know. You should try a painkiller when you're on your trip. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, painkiller connoisseur, and author of the best-selling Dead on Deadline and Final Curtain, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello, Rebecca. Yes, I have tried all. I've gone to the source of the original painkiller in the British Virgin Islands, and um, I've done a full study into them. So if you need advice, I'm Mm. glad to share my knowledge. Laura Bricker, white paper on (laughs) painkillers. We're going to Mexico. Listen, it's all about the margaritas there. And finally, our captain of all things cynical, author of the City Trilogy, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast, and our very own Patreon deep dive book club podcast, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hola, Rebecca. Just giving you some practice. Oh, well, you know, Kevin actually does speak a lot of Spanish when we go to Mexico. I do not. I don't speak a lot of Spanish. I frequently speak a little bit of Spanish to the people I see. That's right. Dos cervezas, por favor. Yeah, I'm just buenos dias. Yes. Que pasa? I say hello. Ciao. Good morning. Yeah. How are you? I just think it's polite. I mean, obviously, I'm not uh, fluent or they probably don't expect me to be fluent, but I just think it's as a general courtesy to address them in Spanish is fine. I would love to, except that I know I'll do it wrong. And since literally everybody- Oh, try. <laughs> don't, do. don't let the fear of failure stop you, Rebecca. No, I just overcompensate by being super freaking nice to everybody oh. that I meet. Hey, where are you going and in Mexico? We are we're going- We're not telling you. Yeah, we're not- that will be there by now. We're going to the the Mayan Riviera to a beautiful Ooh. resort, and I've always wanted to go to that uh, has a by the way in our room a plunge pool, just oh. like the pineapple suite. We're going to the White Lotus. <laughs> what, what, what town oh. are you going to? Playa del Carmen, or we will not be telling you that. Oh. I actually oh. don't know where. It just it's 
Yes. Like we're getting we're getting in a car with we're a stranger. Send you, we'll send you a link. Driving into the jungle. Toby, we'll send you a link. Oh my. <laughs> I'm not like planning on surprising no, it's you. It's not for you that we're not oh. telling you, Toby. Yeah. <laughs> we oh, actually really? have friends who have literally showed up on our vacations before and we are Kevin and I are we've never been on a trip together alone. Just the two of us, and we believe we're cursed. Okay. So literally, we've decided to not share our location with anybody in advance of our going until we are there yes. this time. And so, as I reach out and hold her hand, this is our actual honeymoon. <gasps> not this actually. is your honeymoon. So we've never had. We've never had a honeymoon. So now we can oh my go gosh. and we can argue in private. That's right. We, hey, we could have a honeymoon. A butler. honeymoon baby. That's right. Oh wow. Oh, I no. can hardly wait. It's going to be my birthday while we're there, and I'm way too old for a baby. Uh, so, Kevin, this is obviously Monday's program, and we are not going to be dropping a Thursday program this week because we're going to be on vacation. Yeah. So what is on next Monday's podcast? Uh, next Monday, we're going to be talking about the new podcast from Serial Productions. It's called We Were Three. All right. I'm looking forward to that discussion. And so next week, there won't be a Thursday podcast either, right? Yeah. Okay. Womp, womp. Two weeks in a row of one week. It's just like it's a summer thing. It's fine. People will be fine. You still get your crime writers on every week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's going to be substantive. Just won't be as plentiful. We're about quantity, not quality. No, no. Mm-hmm. Well, let me try that again. We're, <laughs> we're I think about, you got it right. Yeah, I think I got it right the first time. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I think we should just get to uh, the topic of this episode. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and drop that first clip right now. Do it. He hit me. All the time. When you say all the time, could you be any more specific about it? Pretty much all the time. Alan Strauss is a recent widower, estranged from his orthodox son, and just took on a secretive new patient for therapy. The man kidnaps Alan and chains him in his basement. Sam Fortner reveals he's a serial killer and wants the therapist to help him change his violent ways. Let me go. I know you'd have to turn me in. No, 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 no. I would not have to turn you in. Legally, ethically, unless you told me you were going to commit another crime, I can work with you. Everything you've told me so far is confidential. I am going to commit another crime. During his captivity, Alan ponders his many regrets in life, all while attempting to cure Sam's murderous urges. He knows if he's unsuccessful and can't prevent his patient from killing again, He'll surely become Sam's next victim. If I don't figure this out, he's going to strangle me and I'm going into that grave or the next one. I know it's crazy, but I was starting to connect with him. Tuesday is the finale for Hulu's 10-part miniseries, The Patient. Steve Carell and Dom Paul Gleason each give tightly wound performances, Both men struggle with how their pasts affect their present. Can Alan convince Sam to stop killing in the ultimate test of cerebral fitness? Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about significant plot points from the first nine episodes of The Patient. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. Uh, Kevin, have you ever related more to a serial killer who runs on Duncan? <laughs> I don't have? get the large, the extra large Duncan cup. No, but have you ever related less to a serial killer who gets the Dunks coffee but not the Dunks donuts? Which I wonder yeah. if is actually a secret plot point in this. That, ep- that's, show. that's how you know he's a serial killer. Okay. He's just mm-hmm. I'm going to get another large and uh, pee a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. 
<laughs> I definitely was more cognizant of my peeing um, when I was watching the show. <laughs> well, Laura, one, one thousand, two, one thousand, three, one thousand. Well, Laura, the, watching the show is very much like watching a play, right? Mm-hmm. Because the setting is so tight. They're in this largely in this one room for most of the show. Yeah. And uh, what do you feel about that? Because it definitely kind of limits your experience of of the universe of the show. Well, you know, it's it's unique because we see a lot of shows where we have like big sets and we have our location porn and all that stuff. And here we have this outdated house, uh, you know, kind of reminds me of something that's been there for, you know, unchanged in in decades. But there's times I found myself frustrated with this setting because I was like, I want to see something else. But then I was like, that's the point, because you start to feel that same sense of trapped claustrophobia that we have Alan feeling as he's down there. But also the the sort of slant of this particular show is this relationship between these two people. And it's it's really like that that is the focus is the relationship between Alan and his patient. And that is a very nuanced performance and it doesn't need a lot of extraneous things put into the setting. But it, it definitely um, kept it intimate and contained. And it's it's two actors that were both doing, I, I thought, really great performances. And that allowed those performances to really come through because you weren't distracted by anything else. Now, Toby, you can't hide, though, when you're in a setting that's this tight, right? You can't write poorly. You can't act poorly. I mean, I think the big surprise for me, like, was when the mom walked down the stairs because I'm like, okay, we're introducing a third character into this tiny set. What do you think of the tightness of this and and the performances that we're seeing from especially the two main characters here? Yeah, I think they're both they're both good. I think Carol's like, I, you know, he's just he's just a very good actor and he's seems like very much the therapist and the writing is very, I think, true to sort of therapist outlook and therapist talk and all that stuff. We are all part of family systems. You, me, everyone. Changes to those systems can have a profound effect on us, even at your age. And I was thinking that it might be beneficial if we were to do some family therapy work with you and your mother. And I, and I also think it's not necessarily easy to play like a serial killer in a way that's compelling and nuanced. I think he does that here, but not, <laughs> not overly nuanced. I mean, he is, you know, he's a sociopath obviously. So yeah, I think the acting is good. I, th- I thought the writing was excellent. I mean, they're, they're, as you were saying, there's no place to hide. A lot of it is just the two of them talking. Right. So the dialogue has to be right on point. You have to believe in the many twists and turns that their relationship takes and the way in which uh, particularly uh, the the therapist is trying to manipulate. And it all has to ring true. And I think it did like 98% of the time. It just seemed like it was right on. When I saw the setup, I was like, this is going to be tough to pull off. I think they do. I, th- I think it's 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 really impressive. Kevin, I think we've seen seen Steve Carell in roles like this before, where he brings sort of like this dad tenderness. I think the way, way back is sort of like a role where we've seen him like sort of in this like mm-hmm. very, you know, 
he was a douche in that one, but he I understand. Was, yeah, but, yeah, but, but sort but, of like but, you know the the dad vibes. I mean, we, we we've seen him in roles where he has range before. I think yes, and I I'm not surprised by his range here. Like there are notes here of Steve Carell that I recognize. Yeah, I think Domhnall Gleeson is kind of a revelation in this. Um, by the way, aside from his weird resemblance to Payne Lindsay, which I cannot not see every time uh-huh. I watch this, because being a serial killer, right? You're supposed to be scaring your audience all the time, but we're also supposed to believe that there are notes of redeemability potentially to this character. Right, right. And, and to carry that off for 10 episodes, like that is a note that is difficult to carry off for 10 episodes. Do you think... He's carrying it off because I do. Yeah, because usually when we see a serial killer, and I think this is what Toby was getting at, is that they either portray him or her as either sinister and diabolical or just brutal. And in this case, he has just sort of the right amount of awkward and menace. He's less a a physical threat as he is sort of like this thin pane of glass that just could shatter. And that's kind of the thing that you're... You're hoping not to set him off in that way. He is the antagonist in the story, but I'm not I'm not sure if we are or are not supposed to have sympathy for him. I mean, his boss was a dick, so he did kind of deserve it. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, but yeah, I think I think that we see a, a very different side of this serial killer than we do in other fictional portrayals of that and I think that if we thought that there was no changing him, then there's no point to the, the therapy exercise. And because we end up thinking that, well, Steve Carell is pretty good at this and we're rooting for him to succeed, th- that means that we have to believe that there is a chance that he can yeah, fix Sam or at least get him to Move not him kill long enough way, yeah. so the cops get him. Yeah, The thing that I think he does really well is... You know, they always talk about like people talk about like two killers are, you know, they're losers. They're like society's losers. Mm-hmm. Um, and he kind of gets that across with his awkwardness. And I think the other thing is he just shows that he has a really hard time relating to people in normal ways. So even when he has his ex-wife comes over, like he's unable to carry on a conversation. And when he does try, it's awkward. And then when he finally says something that he means, it's, yeah, my dad used to beat the hell out of me. And it's like, ooh, okay, on that note, this is ending. I kind of miss the lazy boy. (laughs) (laughs) He's very comfortable. I could bring it back if you want. Oh, no, that's okay. (laughs) That chair was his father's. My father beat me up a lot when I was a kid. That's why I went into therapy. I don't know. It, it seemed it seemed really well done to me. It seemed that way to me, too. But it also, to me, hinted at, like, a different part of the story that we're not seeing. Because I'm like, how did he and his ex-wife get together? What was their relationship like? What the hell is going on with the mother? Like, I feel like the mother is a part of the story that is at peace that is yes. happening mm-hmm. yeah. that we are, have not been revealed to us yet. Yeah, it's Chekhov's mom. Yes. Like she's a serial killer too. Or that mm. she is enabling this in some way we haven't seen. Like the what we have seen on its face is that she knows he's a serial killer and she's like, Sam, you're being a naughty boy again. Like sort of like, you know, uh, Norman Bates's fake mother upstairs or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Because as soon as as soon as he said that to his ex-wife, she just got it from the table and left in a way that was like extremely menacing to me. Mm-hmm. That was more than just like, we don't talk about that. I don't know, Laura, do you feel like there's a layer here that we just haven't seen yet in this film? Or is that just me like trying to layer more subtext? Well, no, this? it's pretty fucked up. 
First of all, they set it up brilliantly. He hears somebody upstairs and he's like, hello, I'm down here. And then she comes down and she's like, yeah, no, I know about his little problem or whatever she says. <laughs> but her her affect is so sort of flat and she doesn't really react to anything. So that to me leads me to believe there is definitely more to her story. Like her personality hasn't really come out yet. And I'm like, oh, is she going to turn into a psycho? I don't know. But you have to wonder based on what we've seen and also the fact that he's living there and that she's allowing this guy to stay in the basement chained up to the bed. But I, I mean, I think that's going to make the story more interesting because that could be like the big shocker at the end in that like, hey, surprise, the dad beat the shit out of me, but my mom killed him. Or, you know, like there's there's something to her that like, I agree. I would like to see more from her role. And I think, wouldn't it be exciting if that's the big twist? Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. All right, so Kevin, here we are in the business section. Yeah, let's do some business. What do we have going on on our Patreon right now, Kevin? Uh, well, we have the Crime Writers on After Show, and today we're going to talk about developments in the case of murder on Middle Beach. Ooh, Madison Hamburg. Yeah, apparently there's some stuff going on at the Connecticut State Supreme Court. Have you looked into that? Have you? Oh, well, it's now you have a short conversation. A short conversation. <laughs> I saw a tweet, you know. Me too. I saw a tweet too. I thought you were going to look into Well, there's a tweet it. thread. I read the whole thread. Oh, good. So. That's, that's all you had to do. Yeah, probably. Okay, so we can talk about that. And we can also just revisit one of my favorite documentaries of all time, Murder on Middle Beach. Anything else we got going on after show? Or is that it? Just our poorly, well, we'll see what craziness we get our into. Poorly researched Tweetopedia. Maybe we'll just keep pulling out some tweets. And... <laughs> what else are we going on our Patreon, Kevin? Uh, well, well, Toby Ball's going to do a deep dive on Chloe uh, Kardashian's next Instagram post. Oh, great. Yes. Fantastic. Actually, actually we're, we're awaiting the arrival of the next deep dive. Now, you recently appeared on Toby's Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club to talk about Tall Man. Very esteemed podcast with very esteemed authors, yes. So we have to start getting people their homework for the next Deep Dive. Toby, what book is coming up next? We are going to be doing Two Truths and a Lie by Ellen McGarrahan. Mm -hmm. It's going to be all journalists from south of the Mason-Dixon line. Oh, okay. Uh, we'll have Keith Sharon. Yep. And we'll have Chris Joyner. Nice. Oh, wow. Very so nice. it's going to be it's going to be awesome. Uh, and this is actually the book is written by a woman who used to be a newspaper reporter, too. So a lot of a lot of print journalism going on. Anyway, speaking of ball slapping oh. um, yep. right now on Mary with podcast, we've got an interesting question from a listener who says that uh, she really enjoys the uh, the ball slapping sex. Yes, she does. With <gasps> her with her man. Yep. But she likes it tender. With a woman. That's right. She's strong enough oh. for a man, but made for a woman. Perhaps. Perhaps. And uh, she wants to know if there's something wrong with her. And Rebecca gives some really good advice. I do. I also give some really bad advice, apparently. Yes. About, oh, yeah, about a neighbor, a neighbor yeah. who hears things. And anyway, I'm just going to say that you can. You did your best. You we all just do our best. Just doing our We're best. We're just doing our best. And sometimes we miss the mark. All right. Yeah. So, Kevin, before we end the business section, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week? 
Our Patreon patron saints are Stephanie Hansen and Trisha LaMagna. Bless you. Bless you guys. Bless everybody who uh, joins us on Patreon, everybody who doesn't. And thank you for muscling through this business section. All right, so we have an A-plot therapy plot and a B-plot therapy plot, right? So the A-plot therapy plot is Steve Carell giving Sam therapy to try to do two things. One is to try to, you know, on the surface, help Sam through his psychopathic urges to become a serial killer, but also in some way to try to keep Sam in therapy long enough that he will be able to stay alive, which he's been both transparent about and is doing subversive things around. And the B plot is Steve Carell doing his own therapy survival with his dead therapist in his dreams and also working through some of his own backstory with his orthodox son, who has uh, estranged himself from him and sort of rejected Steve Carell and his wife uh, by becoming very conservative and sort of rejecting their family in that way. And he has all of these flashbacks to that therapist who wrote that book after being a survivor of the Holocaust, um, who was like a very famous therapist. I looked it up uh, to sort of get the backstory there. What do you think, Toby, of these sort of weaving these two therapy stories together? It's it's complicated. Do you think this is working, sort of this dual therapy story? You know, I do. And at first, you know, the Holocaust stuff was making me a little nervous because uh, I wasn't quite sure where he was going with that. But I think I'm not as nervous now that we've kind of got through it some more. I think the stuff with the with his family, which is it's really it's sort of the way he's negotiated the conflict between his wife and his son Mm -hmm. and his wife, who's a cantor, who's like much more liberal sort of antagonizes him to be quite honest. By serving desserts to the kids in front of the Orthodox kids. Or like seeing at his wedding when she knows it's going to be alienating to the community that he's becoming a part of. So again, I thought that this, it was handled really well in that it's clear what's kind of going on. And you don't get a real sense of of how he's dealing with it because you mostly just see him observing. Uh, but then how do how do the different members of his family sort of interpret his unwillingness to act in those situations? And then his finally understanding how that's interpreted by the different people in his family. Again, I thought it was just very smartly written. I, I think they just parse it out in the right amounts too, because I think a lot of times these things really detract from the main story. Like I didn't find myself being like, okay, can we get back to the serial killer? Right. I felt like those stories had enough heft to carry their, their weight. And then when it came back, it was, you know, I, I guess you just, you kind of felt that there was more at stake for him uh, rather than just, you know, trying to kill time until he could make an escape. Kevin, I sort of feel like he is working with Sam on things that he did not work with on himself and with his own son. Yeah. Uh, How do you think that these two plots are working together when they're woven together in this way? Well, I think that, you know, because this A plot is the serial killer story and Steve Carell is, you know, literally stuck in the basement with his own thoughts. It really gives wide berth to the writers as to. Who is Steve Carell? What is his background? Because it doesn't it's not like he's a cop and this fits this thing. They have essentially a blank slate and they could go wherever they want. He could be, you know, he could be an Irish bartender or he could have been a prize fighter. You know, he could have been any of those other things. And so 
this particular thing is really interesting. They do a great job of sort of examining his uh, Jewish identity and then bringing this other story. This whole drama, this B-plot, in and of itself could be a nice little dramatic movie, right? It's just got so much depth. I mean, more so than you would expect from, you know, what you could deride as being a knockoff of misery, right? I also think that this idea of when we're seeing Alan's internal thoughts that it's in this setting where he's talking to his old dead therapist. The reason I think that works is because, you know, he really can't communicate with anybody else. And you really just can't see him like, you know, thinking out loud to himself or talking to himself as he's walking around. It it really is, a, I think, clever because it works thematically because he's a therapist, but it also gives him another character to sort of bounce his ideas off of and, and bear his soul. Hmm. Charlie, I need a plan. I need a plan. I'm like a second year just throwing shit against the wall. You have to find a way to come out of this alive. As crazy as it sounds, I think there is a conscience in there somewhere. Uh, So, Laura, the patient, like we have Mm -hmm. more than one patient in this series, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the thing is, so it starts with the patient, obviously the obvious patient, which is our serial killer. But then it becomes clear that the patient is also obviously Alan, who until now hasn't really been forced to deal with his own shit. And and now he has no choice, you know, as he's sitting down there faced with the prospect of death, it's like, well, I can sit here and sharpen my foot cream container, <laughs> you know, and it's obviously a time for self-reflection. So, you know, I just thought that was really interesting how we, you know, we go back and forth between him being the patient with his dead therapist. Um, and, uh, you know, at the same time, you know, him still being the therapist for Sam. But, you know, so it's it's really kind of like this double meaning, like in the end, is this work that Alan is doing on himself while he's in this this period of isolation slash captivity slash just total insanity? Is is that something that's actually going to change the course of his life in the end? Or is it just going to give him sort of a, a peace of mind for what? I, I, I don't know. But, it, you know, I think... It was it was pretty clear that he hadn't dealt with any of his own stuff prior to going into the the basement with the chain. So we're talking about this very much like it's this like quiet, contemplative play. Right. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of action scenes in this show, too. And I do want to talk about some of like the expositional action. So, Toby, we see like an on-screen murder. We see more than one on-screen murder in in this show. But the first on-screen murder we see is incredibly jarring. And then after that, we see them literally digging a grave for half an episode of a show, reminding us, of course, that there's like tremendous brutality here. So like that then takes us out of this like quiet, gentle action into this like different kind of action, which is another kind of juxtaposition, right? Yeah, I thought that was a very effective scene because I do think that one of the traps that something like this can fall into is that it just becomes like kind of an intellectual jousting thing or whatever. And you kind of lose track of the fact that this guy like kills people. I mean, the, the scene is, it it's not graphic in the slightest, like there's no blood or anything, but it is absolutely brutal and violent and shocking. I thought it was spot on uh, the way they handled it. I don't know. It, it was jarring. I mean, it, it really was. It, it was. It was a shocking scene, and sort of reminded you of what the stakes were. 
Hmm. As did the note in the throat solution oh, that Steve man. Carell's Allen comes up with. That was inspired. That was, I mean, that was great. But then the note disappears and the body disappears and he says, well, nothing's going to happen from it. I kind of wonder if in the finale that, I mean, I mean, just it's sort of the idea that, oh, this note is going to rescue him. Like, no, no, it's, it's not. It was just dropped too abruptly for it to not sort of surface again. But also the note didn't have any information. The note was just him saying he loved his son, right? Mm. Well, I think it was both. I think <laughs> I think that he was trying, you know, he was talking about, well, you know, the coroner will find this note and then the cops are going to keep smashing in through the, the yep. plate glass window. Yep. So I don't know. I guess I'd have to rewind it and look at both. But I do I do remember sort of the last thing he wrote was that he loved his son. Not his daughter, but okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a poor daughter. I mean, yeah, she just became school, a doctor. Yeah. Yeah. She did fine, you know. Yeah, she's fine. Uh, of course, the other big action scene that we see in this show is the ping pong scene. Oh, yeah. Because uh, every good basement <laughs> rec room needs a ping pong table, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm obviously, you know, you could tell it's a legit basement when someone wheels out, you know, the ping pong table that they had stashed back there in the 70s. And like, oh, my dad's, you know, ping pong table. I'm sure there are boxes back there with old uh, baseball trophies and gloves and, you know. Bowling balls. shit. Yeah, and broken refrigerators and vacuum cleaners and. Christmas ornaments. Yeah, what? you know, it looked, right? I mean, did it, did it look like all the. The basements that like we would go over our friend's house and they like, come on, we're going to go down and hang on and, p- and play Sam's, records. And, and Sam's room is down Sam's there. Sam's room is down there. Well, that's that kinda, creepy. Doesn't that strike yeah. you, Laura, as like maybe he's being exiled from the rest of the house or maybe it's nothing. But, but is it a self-imposed exile? Yeah, no, we don't ever see upstairs except through the nanny cam. It's, oh, my God, the nanny cam. I was impressed that they were able to get it and get it set up in such a short period of time. Hmm. Sounds like they had mm-hmm. a whole day, though. She's coming over tomorrow. On Saturday. I feel the most dread in this show when we see Sam actually out in the world. I feel more dread seeing Sam in the real world. Like at work and yeah. At work, on the street, like, you know, doing whatever than I do seeing him in this basement. Because I feel like at least when he's in this basement, like like there's some comfort because he's on this like little play set that we've become accustomed to. Mm -hmm. And when you see him in the world, because by the way, the makeup and hair and art direction of, of this show extends to Sam's persona, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He looks like the basement of his house. Mm -hmm. Like he does. He has the same look as the, he looks like walking wood paneling. Like he Mm -hmm. does. (laughs) And and so when you see him in this, in this false fashion, right? Walking wood paneling. And when you see him in the colorful, bright, normal world, like in the high school where he went to high school or like on the street next to, it's like, he looks like a fucking serial killer. <laughs> and I find that very, very jarring. And that to me is like the beauty of the art direction of the show, which is very hard to do, is to like do a thing where you have a serial killer and you elevate the levels of creepiness without just constantly watching them physically threaten people. Mm-hmm. You know, there is that moment where he actually talks to the guy, you know, he's going to kill and he has a glimpse of him wearing a leather glove. And you're like, why doesn't the guy notice that he's wearing the leather glove? I know I, that was that was very suspicious. Literally all I can see right mm. now. Literally all that I can see. All right. So we are in episode nine of the show, which means all we have left is the finale. And we have not yet seen that as the time of this taping. Yeah. We're going to miss it. We can't see it out of the country. Oh, Don't spoil it, Twitter. Maybe we'll be able to if we get a little VPN action. You no. never know. I know. We had this problem. We were trying to do the dropout oh. that week. Yeah. 
That's right. We didn't get to see if Elizabeth Seafried was going to like do her Oscar for TV winning performance and in the finale. She did. She did. Uh, what do you guys think is going to happen? I mean, we're all going to look like fools, I think, at the end of this. Um, does anyone have any predictions that they want to float before we do our review of this show? Laura, do you have any guesses as to what you think is going to happen here? Well, I mean, we haven't talked about my uh, feelings about ruining Kenny Chesney by bringing him into this and having all the Kenny Chesney songs played in The Serial Killer. Maybe he'll have a cameo. Mm. Um, maybe Kenny Chesney will talk him out of being a serial killer. No, I, you know, I think that I kind of like what you're saying before about the mother. I feel like there's going to be something more with the mother. I don't know. I, I almost feel like we're going to be let down by the ending because to me, I'm like, OK, the ending is he cures him from being a serial killer and he releases him. I'm like, that's not going to happen. The ending is he just has a heart attack and dies. Oops. I, I, I don't I don't even know at this point. I mean, there's so many ways this could go. Toby, what do you think? Think it's going to be a season two? Oh, God. No. <laughs> you think they're going to wrap just, it up with some sort of end of the story? They just, they, yeah, they just comes down with some dumplings and then then it fades out. Now, I think. My sense is that the theme of this is kind of when faced with unreason, right? Or faced with evil, like you can do all the like kind of talking you want. You can wait for somebody else to come and save you. But the reality is, is that you have to act yourself. And I think that's part of what the Holocaust thing was about. That's certainly what the therapist talks about. That was what I kind of gleaned at some point during this, and I couldn't get it out of my mind. So I, I, I may be completely off on this, but I think essentially, like it either comes, it comes down to does Steve Carell has to do something to save himself that like delaying or reasoning and all these things are not going to be hmm. successful in this situation. So he he has to either make a move to get out of there. Or, or he's not going to. So hmm. that's my prediction. Kevin, what do you think? Well, the producers of this show also produced The Americans. Mm, my which favorite was, again, another TV show, show that's, of all time. Yeah, another show that's, that's wound as tightly as a 12-day clock. Yeah. And so I predict that we will be surprised because they are very clever, although I think that he probably will survive. Uh, he will be reunited with his son, and they will reconcile. Uh, Alan will learn a little more, appreciate his own Jewish heritage. Something's going to happen with the mom, maybe, I, and probably as he's dying because he was shot by the cops or something, just before the light goes out in his eyes, Sam is cured or something, or I, I don't know. But I, I predict, I, I think they're going to land the plane. Oh, I have different thoughts now that I know that's by the, the Americans people. I have completely different thoughts. So first of all, I just want to acknowledge one of the greatest lines that's ever been uttered in the history of television. Yeah, what is it? I'm going to kill my father, cut his head off, fuck his skull. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to fuck his skull. <laughs> that combination of words has never before been uttered and will never again be uttered on television. Now that I know this is made by the same people that made The Americans... I believe there may, in fact, be a season two that will, in fact, also be good. I don't know if any of the rest of you, Lara and Toby, watched The Americans, a show that after season one, you were like, there's no way that season two can be as tense and as good as season one. That show was on for, what, five seasons? Maybe more, but yeah, Every it was good. single season was tenser and better than the season before, and they continued that tension in a new way with new writing 
every single season of that show. So I have, I don't know. I'm not sure the story is going to be over at the end of the season. So do you think Sam is just going to be kidnapping people from different professions and bringing them down in there to see if he can help them out? I think Alan keeps getting kidnapped. He's like, again? Yeah. I was thinking maybe Sam could get like a bartender one time or, a you know, an English teacher another time. How many times uh, can June from The Handmaid's Tale get recaptured and sent back to Gilead oh for fuck's sake? Oh yeah. Maybe, maybe uh, Sam becomes partially cured and then he has a whole new set of tensions. I don't know. Or he becomes a therapist himself. Maybe yeah, he decides, two of them open their own practice. Maybe he decides to start a podcast company in Atlanta. Oh, Jesus. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney Bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. All right, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out The Patient? It is a show on Hulu. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for The Patient? Yeah, I'm going to go thumbs up with this. This was um, a nice kind of diversion last weekend. I binged most of it. And, you know, the episodes were short. They And I kept watching one after the next of the next because... I was wanting to see what happened. It was really unique compared to uh, anything else I've watched lately in terms of just the set being mostly, for the most part, just two characters. There's tension, but it's not sort of this edge-of-the-seat tension. It's sort of a slow, always-present undercurrent. There were some good Kenny Chesney songs throughout, (laughs) which I did sing along to, even though I wasn't really in favor with... uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> why they were put in there. Yeah, I thought this this is a really interesting show and I am eagerly waiting for the finale to see what happens. Toby Ball, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for the patient? Yeah, that's what we didn't even talk about. Like, I thought the scene where he's talking about Barefoot Nation was like a great I scene. I thought that was, I thought that was so good. No Shoes Nation. No Toby. Shoes Nation, whatever nation. the hell it's no called. No Shoes Nation. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so I really like this. I thought it was... Extremely well written, extremely well acted. You know, it's a, it's a it's a tough one to pull off when it's a, a lot of it is talking and people trying to you know manipulate each other or, or find common ground and, and all this stuff. Like I think it's really hard to make it feel real the whole time, and I think they do that. And so it's a big thumbs up from me, Kevin Flynn. I'm a thumbs up. I think Steve Carell gives an inspired performance here. It's subtle, but also very tense. Uh, The writing is excellent. It does go in places that you don't think it will. Thematically, it's very deep. Laura binged it, but we we were watching it week to week, and an episode would end, and we're like, God damn it! (laughs) We gotta wait till next week. Rare, right? Yeah, so this, this is really good. If you haven't started The Patient, I say, do it. Same way. I feel like we felt when we discovered Severance before other people were watching it like a few months ago. This is like the severance of right now. If you have not started The Patient, start The Patient. Everyone is going to watch it in a couple months and everyone's going to be like, did you see it? Watch it now. It is freaking awesome. Just so you know, though, it's dark as hell, (laughs) but it's not like I'm a baby about scary stuff and you'll be fine. You'll be fine. It's just it's very, very, very very freaking good. It's one of the best shows I've seen in a really long time. So I'm a huge thumbs up for The Patient. All right, now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call 
the crime of the week. The week. The Chai Stop in Lancashire, England, has a new policy. Rude customers will pay more than double. If you ask the cashier for a Desi Chai, it will cost five pounds. But if you ask for a Desi Chai, please, it will run you three pounds. And if you go to the counter and say, hello, Desi Chai, please, it's only a pound 90. The owner says he hasn't charged anyone a fiver yet, but the sign gets a laugh and promotes a respectful atmosphere. He says people can sometimes be grumpy in the morning and they appreciate a gentle reminder about manners. It goes to show the price of being polite is very low. No word on how much they charge when people say, now give me a fucking scone. Now, panel, we'd love to make it more expensive in this world to be rude. Where would you like this policy to be implemented? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Oh, my gosh. On the sidewalk in front of my office where people have been walking their dogs and this week let a dog piss, excuse me, pee on one of the displays at the shop underneath me mm. and then just kept on walking. So I think that this needs to come to uh, the sidewalk in Exeter. Well, isn't it free to piss, though? Since you said dog. piss, that's going to be a fiver, Laura Brown. It's a fiver, yeah. <laughs> Ooh, Toby okay. Bob, where would you like this policy to be implemented? More expensive to be rude. I would actually like to designate a large part of our police force to driving around behind cars. And when people throw their cigarette butts out the window, I'd pull their asses over. And I don't know what an applicable fine would be, but it would be more than a fiver. Oh, what do you think, Kevin Flynn? Well, I'm going to be like all the sports bars in New England. Yankee fans pay double. Oh, oh. I'm just going to say Facebook, uh, my town Facebook page, oh, uh, all the Facebook. Just if you're a dick, five bucks, five bucks, five, five bucks. Yep. I would be rich. I'd be so freaking rich. All right. That's going to do it for us. But before we go, Laura Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? <laughs> Yes, we do, Rebecca. Frosty the cat is our cat of the week. And Frosty comes to us from Angela Jones, who is a vet tech. One of their rescue groups dropped off this adorable baby in a live trap for a spay neuter. When I attempted to open the door and place her in a cage for surgery, she bolted out the front and into the hospital, an event which I thought I had prepared for. All the doors were closed, so limited access to the clinic. And in 25 years... Angela has never had an escapee like this. Mm. Unbeknownst to anyone except our friend here, there was a vent open in one of the rooms and she spent four days in the ductwork. Shit. I learned about that in cat detective school. <laughs> it's a thing. <laughs> no, it's a thing. There's like famous cat cases where cats are in the airport hiding in the ducts or in, there was one that we actually did a case study where a cat was in the vet for like months. I up doubt in the they're actually ceiling. famous, but all right. It, in cat detective school, they are, Kevin. <laughs> um, and here is a picture of Frosty with zero regrets. Surgery went well. She's being fostered while looking for her forever home. Wow. So, all right. There you go. <laughs> Laura Bricker, of course, if folks want to submit cats of the week, they can go to our Facebook group, put them there. They can email them to crimeraderson at gmail.com. But if they want to tweet to you, Laura, how can they find you on Twitter? They can find me on the Twitter at Laura Bricker. And Toby Ball, how can folks find you on social media, Twitter in particular? At Toby Ball and H. 
Kevin Flynn, how can you be found? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram or the very weird Be Real, where some listeners have actually been joining, uh, you can find me at Reb Lavoie. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On, and I encourage you to join our incredible community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. Just go to our regular Facebook page, hit join the group, answer a couple questions, we'll let you in. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You get the Crime Writers On After Show, Married with Pod. Podcast, Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker podcast, and Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcasts. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the very wonderful Olivia Burdett. Not today. The executive producer of this fine program is Kevin P. Flynn. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, The Closet. In our New Hampshire basement, where Kevin is chained to the floor and edits this podcast as if his life depended upon it. I'm adding compression! On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you... Later. Later. So we have to start getting people their homework for the next deep dive. Toby, what book is coming up next? Oh, good God, Kevin. Um, It is uh, Two Truths and a Lie by... Somebody whose name I can never remember. Hold on. It's one of my favorite games. After that, we're going to be covering Seven Minutes in Heaven. Oh, boy. What? And after that, the next edition will be Spin Spin the the Bottle. bottle. (laughs) What's Seven Minutes in Heaven? Oh, my God. Toby wrote Seven Minutes in Heaven. Toby got invited to zero (gasps) parties in middle school. It sounds sexy. All right. um, It is. I'll start all over again. (laughs) 